Ellis Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. You are the author of more than 30 novels for adults, young adults, and children. Your new book brings us back to the Owens family of practical magic and magic lessons and rules of magic. The new book is the book of magic. It is so lovely to see you. Would you set the new book, the book of magic up for listeners, please? Yeah, you know, it's the fourth in the series, a series that I never thought I would write. Uh, You know, I started with Practical Magic and then it just kind of expanded. So it's the fourth and I think final book. And it's kind of a closure for readers and also for me and, and for the characters. It's so hard when characters just go off into the ether and you never know what's happened to them. So this is kind of a a closure for everybody. We end up back at the house on Magnolia. Yes. We're also in England again. So you really have brought together your storylines from the last few in this one. Magic Lessons, which takes place in the 17th century, is the origin story. And Maria Owens, who's the initial ancestor, grows up in Essex, England. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a full circle moment where the house where the Owens women live is in Essex, Massachusetts. So they go back from Massachusetts back to kind of the homeland of Essex, England. I'm trying to do this without spoilers. You're trying to do this without spoilers. So we're back with Sally and Jillian. Sally is really the heart of this story. She is, you know, the, the the whole series began with two sisters, Sally and Jillian Owens, and they are completely different in the first book. They're day and night, they're white and black, they're they're just completely separate and different. And I think as the years have gone by, they've become closer. You know, for the first book, I think readers would say, you know, are you more like Sally or Jillian? But now they've really transformed and they're much more complicated. The book of magic's kind of the, the heart is Sally, but it's also about her daughters, Antonia and Kylie and the new generation coming up. And also about the older generation, Jet and Franny and Vincent. So it's really three generations. And what's interesting for me is that a lot of my readers are three generations of readers of, you know, daughters, mothers and grandmothers. And that for me is a very special about the series that it connects to different age groups and to women in the same family, because it really is about sisterhood and motherhood and and those kinds of relationships. There are a couple of times in the book where you say words are magic. There are lots of different kinds of magic in this book. You know, that's very true. There's there's the actual magic of spells and incantations and curses, but then there's the, I guess it's everyday magic of relationships and love and kindness and books. That's a big magic in the in this book is is people's relationships to libraries and to books. Practical magic came out in 1995 and it feels like it was yesterday, but it was 1995. Then in 2017 you come out with Rules of Magic, which is a prequel. And that's where we meet Jet and Franny and their brother, Vincent. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly here we are in 2020 with Magic Lessons and 2021 with the Book of Magic. Did you write these last two books concurrently or did you know that you were just going to need more space to tell this piece of the story? You know, I've never known anything about this. I have never plotted it out. If I had, it would have been much easier for me to know what to do next because, you know, I had to follow what was set out in Practical Magic and some of the things I wish I hadn't had to follow, but I did. And the reason it was so long between Practical Magic and the Rules of Magic was because I had no intention of writing another book, but I kept getting letters and email from readers who were saying that, you know, I want to know more of the story. I want a sequel. And I understood that, but I really wanted a prequel because I like to go back in time and to see what the family history was. So I went back to the 60s and 70s 
in New York City in Greenwich Village, which is kind of the time that I grew up and my favorite time and my favorite place. And, you know, kind of had so much fun with seeing how the older people in Practical Magic were when they were younger. And Sally shares a lot with her grandmother, Susanna. She really does not want her daughters to practice magic. She wants them to have no part of it. Yeah. And I'm not really giving anything away there because, you know, generational conflict is generational conflict. <laughs> it's true. But it was interesting to me to see how much Sally shared with her grandmother, Susanna, with the whole, you must not reveal yourselves. Yeah. You must be safe. You must continue to live amongst the world as if you were not witches. Yeah, I- That is really interesting that you say that because I think it's a big theme in the book and one that people really relate to is this desire to be normal, you know, to fit in and to not be quirky and not to be different because it's hard to be different. And I think, you know, one of the things that Sally realizes it takes her quite a long time is that she doesn't want to be normal. And what is normal anyway? I think the other theme is like, as you're trying to protect people, you're doing damage to them by not being honest. And I think that happens in a lot of families. I think the curse, the Owens curse, is in some ways a metaphor for, you know, how we all feel that we inherit all sorts of problems from the generations that precede us. And Antonia and Kylie, in some ways, they're the new generation. Antonia sees herself as the practical one. Yes. She's a solid one. She's going to be a doctor. She's pregnant. She has her whole life planned out. She believes she's not messy. She has a plan. She knows exactly what's going on. And her sister, Kylie, is much more emotional. She back drives quite a lot of the latter parts of the book when everyone goes searching for Kylie. That much I brought here. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, there's a quote from that book that I don't really remember writing, but I think it's really true. And it says, everything worthwhile is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I think Sally is the kind of person that's trying to avoid that danger for herself, for her children. And yet you really can't avoid it in this life and in this world. I love the opening of the new book, The Book of Magic. You start with some stories begin at the beginning and others begin at the end, but all of the best stories begin in a library. And Jet is an unofficial librarian in their local town, which I love. And that is a big piece of this story. Sally's a librarian. Sally's a librarian. And there's a there's a, a very magical library in England that they that they go to and get involved with. You know, I think it's my way of expressing my gratitude. A lot about this book is that my personally expressing my gratitude to the books that I loved and to libraries and librarians who made such a difference in my life and just opened the whole world for me. And you know, that's a place where you can make your own choices and nobody can tell you what to do. And so there's the Owens Library and it's, you know, a very special place for me. And it was so much fun to write about it. When you decided that you were going to come back to this book, to the the manuscript that became the Book of Magic, how did this particular book start for you? You know, it's so interesting that you would ask that because I don't really know. I don't really remember. I mean, I remember Practical Magic because I had a list of titles, which sometimes I have. And Practical Magic was one of those titles. And I thought, this is a great title. I should write the book that goes with the title. But I don't even remember when I plotted out Book of Magic, when I thought, oh, there should be a fourth book. I I just really, I don't really remember. It's just kind of It almost feels like just part of my DNA or something. It just kind of arose naturally. And then I had to keep rewriting and rewriting. But but the initial idea, I'm not really sure. So it conjured itself. (laughs) That's right. It's magic. Books are magic. (laughs) Absolutely. Do you have a favorite Owens character? 
I have a couple of favorite. I when I wrote the rules of magic, I didn't expect Brandy and Jet to have a brother. And their brother Vincent kind of walked through the door and, and and kind of took over the book. I fell in love with him and and so did everybody else, I think. But I think that if I feel closest to someone, I think it's Franny because I think she's just difficult and she has a very hard exterior and she's a very kind, wounded person who would do anything for her family and is sometimes judged wrongly in a way. And I think for me especially as the books have continued and as she's grown up, I think she's the the person that I most identify with. And Sally shares a lot of that as well. So Sally's a little bruised by life and a little prickly on the outside. She really is. She wants to cut off her feelings, but you know, if you do that, what do you have left? And I think, you know, I think in every generation, it's kind of the older generation teaches the younger generation something, but very much that the younger generation has a lot to teach the older generation. And we see that throughout the Book of Magic, too. We see how Franny and Jet and Sally and Jillian have all made life choices. And then we meet Kylie and Antonia. They're almost like stand-ins for the audience in a way because they don't quite know what they've walked into because it's been hidden for so long. They don't know their history. They don't know where their family came from. And they are... You know, one is very annoyed about that. One just doesn't even want to know, just wants to, you know, the practical, logical Antonia. But I think, you know, I think that happens a lot of times in family where the younger generation is just not really caught up to what has happened, doesn't know the traumas that the previous generations have gone through and just knows the behavior, but doesn't know what causes the behavior. You know, Sally is can be very uptight and very controlling. Why? You know, they don't understand what happened to her and why that would be. And that's kind of a process. And for me, one of the great things about writing the books is that, you know, I don't have a sister and I don't have a daughter. So it was a way for me to experience something that, that I feel a great loss in my life, not to have those relationships. When you're working on a project like The Book of Magic, are you starting with character? Are you starting with story? Books start in different ways for me. I mean, they usually start with a question. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of at the heart of it. For me, The Book of Magic, the question was, how do you get rid of the curse? When a family's been cursed for generations, how do you change things so that you're free of this family curse? So that was what kind of drove me through the book. But, you know, sometimes I start with characters. I mean, I definitely started with characters because they existed for me. Sometimes I'll start with um, a place, a location. Sometimes I'll start with a real person and their history and want to go back in history. So it starts in different ways for me, but I tend to make lists of things. And and I have like big poster boards with, you know, I use different color magic markers. And I think it's kind of creating the world for the characters to walk into is my first step usually. But the series, the magic series, I kind of didn't have to create that world. It was walking into an existing world and then just deepening it and seeing where, where it would lead me. It's obvious you did quite a lot of research for Magic Lessons, which was the book that was set in the 1700s and told the story of Maria Owens and yes. the curse. But there's a character named Amelia Bassano. Yeah. Pops up in multiple places, but especially in the book of Magic. Yeah. Would you talk to us a little bit about who she is and who she's based on? And because there's a great line that I'm very curious about. Rumor had it that she was betrayed by Shakespeare and she'd had her revenge in the darkest way possible. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a lot of rumors out there, but she was the author of the first book of poetry to be published in England. 
she was at least half Jewish woman whose family were musicians from Venice. And there are rumors that I hate to say this because people will freak out, but there are room, all sorts of rumors about her. There's rumors that she was Shakespeare's dark lady. And there's also rumors that she wrote the plays because she was involved with Christopher Marlowe, because she had a very long-term affair with um, the person in charge of all theatricals in London, the Queen's person in charge of it. You know, it is a possibility, of course, but what is interesting to me is that all throughout the books, there is talk that literacy is power, words are power, words are magic. When I first started researching magic lessons and researching kind of what women's situation was in the 17th century in England, I didn't understand that there was, I think it was something like 97% of women were illiterate. So that if you could read and write, you had such huge power. And I think that's one thing that this character, this real person, Amelia Bassano, understood, you know, that words were power. And so she's a figure that is in both of these books as someone who, and there's no, there's no historical uh, proof of this, but as someone who wrote a dark grimoire because of the way she was treated as a woman and as uh, a writer. And this is the book of dark magic that Kylie gets her hands on. And in Magic Lessons, Faith Owen gets her hands on. And so it kind of turns them towards kind of a darker form of magic. But it was fun to research and fun to write about and to imagine. Is there anything you learned that you weren't able, learned from your research that you weren't able to work into the Book of Magic? Or do you find that, for instance, you did X amount of research and you used maybe a third of it? Yeah, I think that's probably true because there's, so you know, because it's a novel, I don't want it to get too bogged down in history. I want it to feel historically correct. I never do anything historically that is completely at odds. You know, I wouldn't change the dates of something, but um, I don't want it to read like a history. I want it to read like a novel. So I usually do my research in kind of different levels. You know, I, I do an initial amount and then I just stop because I could I could research for years, forever. But I'm sure I don't use a lot of it. And I'm looking also for kind of strange things and, and difficult things because I'm looking for women's lives. And, you know, there's so little written about regular women, you know, everyday women. And so that that's kind of difficult sometimes. What you just said made me think of two recent books, Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet, which uh-huh. is about Shakespeare's wife, and also Matrix, the Lauren Groff novel that's out now that's based slightly on Marie de France and her life. And the idea that there are no records of these women is great for readers because we end up with really terrific books. Yeah. At the same time, it does make you sit up a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute, who are we valuing? Who I know who's telling the story. I mean, I, you know, I wrote about ancient women when I wrote in the Dove Keepers and I really, my best way of researching because there was nothing, pretty much nothing, was to research current nomadic people. You know, I wanted to know how people made cheese and how people cooked and there's just no records. And it happened to me again when I wrote about Camille Pizarro's mother, Rachel, in The Marriage of Opposites. And it was so interesting to me that in a book of a thousand letters that he wrote, he never mentioned his mother once, you know? So there was so little about her to find out. And that is not that is not in the far-flung past, you know? There's just not that much history about women. Do you have a preference writing historical fiction or writing in the contemporary day, or is it just where the story happens to land? I think it's where the story lands. I think when I began 
writing historical novels, I didn't understand how much work they were. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot more work, I have to say. I, it can be a lot more fun also, but, you know, I, it's just completely different. So, you know, it, it kind of depends on the book for me. It's, it's really book by book. Have any of your books for younger readers been serious? I'm sorry, I should know this, but... I can't remember myself. <laughs> no, not really. No, they haven't been. They've all been standalone books. One was called Incantation, and it was about the Spanish Inquisition, which I'm very interested in, mostly because I knew nothing about it. The Spanish Inquisition surfaces, again, in magic lessons, because Maria Owens, when she leaves England, she's an indentured servant. And so she goes through the West Indies. And that was a place where, where a lot of Murano Jews escaping from the Inquisition went. And, and she happens to fall in love while she's there, which was a big surprise to me, but great for her. <laughs> Except he turned out to be really a dud, <laughs> Nathaniel. No, not that one, the other one. <laughs> right, sorry. One was dud. One was, well, one of them, I had no choice about one of them because I had already set up in Practical Magic that Maria Owens was involved with John Hawthorne, who was a relative of Nathaniel Hawthorne, the great author, but also a horrible person and one of the judges at the Salem Witch Trials. So there was no way I could undo the fact that she was going to be involved with him. But luckily, he's not the only man in her life. That's not the only piece of historical overlap in the new book, too, and I'm not going to spoil this at all. But in the new book, there is some overlap between some new characters who we meet and Essex and the yeah. Owen. And it's really satisfying, though. Yeah, I didn't expect those new characters. I didn't know who they were. They just, you know, sometimes as a writer, you're just lucky and they just walk in and they just almost fully formed with their whole history, carrying their whole history with them. I don't want to give anything away, but there are a couple of characters who are like that. And one of them is really terrific. And one of them, readers will, they will suss him out quickly, I think. Right. He's, he's not a good dude, but he has a role to play. He has a role to play. And he's also related to a character from a very much earlier book. So it's kind of, you know, history does repeat itself if you don't kind of address it. It's true. It's absolutely true. So we know who you are as a writer. We know that you write very charming, witty prose about people who may have difficult situations, but ultimately find their way through. But who are you as a reader? You know, I think the Book of Magic really answers that because I have included, I don't even know how many, I think about 20 books that I completely loved throughout the text. And then at the end of the book, I, I have a list of them. And I feel like it was my way of kind of like paying homage to, to books that I loved. And I'm a very quirky reader, I think. You know, I, I like very different kinds of literature. So I'm not tied into one particular kind of literature. But these are the books that like, I think, you know, made such a huge difference in my life as a as a reader, but also as a writer. I do have a list of books because the novel begins and ends in a library. And within the pages, I mention many book titles. And these are some of my favorite books. And also, if when you're reading, you look carefully, you'll find other references to other books that I love. But I really wanted to thank the authors of the books that changed my life. And oh, just a few of them are yeah, Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, which is my favorite novel, and Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, and Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. And oh, the magic series, the children's book, the magic series by Edward Eager, Half Magic, Magic by the Lake. And of course, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury and really all of Ray Bradbury's books because he was a huge influence on me as a 12-year-old reader. I 
fell in love with his books and with his ability to write about everyday magic, magic that could be happening, you know, on the street where you lived, the street you walked down. And I was lucky enough to meet him before his death. And he's just an amazing person. I think a lot of writers feel like he was kind of a godfather and he writes about such a moral world and he just really affected me and made me feel like I could write anything. I could write about anything. And I had a great, great professor um, named Albert Gerard when I was starting out. And he said to me, some people will tell you to write what you know, but I'm going to tell you, write what you can imagine. And that was such a gift. That was like, you don't have to be normal (laughs) to the Owens women. You can write whatever you can imagine. That's such a great line. When you're writing for adults, though, obviously it's a very different world than when you're writing for young adults and children. Mm -hmm. You started writing for adults first. Your first novel was 1977. I was in graduate school. But yeah, I think I actually did start writing about it in college, but mostly in graduate school. That's not a small thing. But when did you make the shift to also writing for young adults and children? I think, you know, just because I thought about how much books meant to me as a child and as a young adult. I think what you read around that time, especially, I think, 10, 11, 12, 13, stays with you in such a deep way. And you remember those books so deeply and they influence you so deeply. So I think that's why I decided maybe I would like to do that. I'd like to write a book for for myself at the age of 12 or 13 or 14. So many young adult books really can be read by adults, too, because they speak to so many issues we care about also. I think there's a certain amount of freedom too when you're writing for young people now. There's a wider range of story than I remember. Oh, me too. Yeah. And I feel like when I write for younger people, I feel that I can be freer because they're they're freer and they're unlike adults, you know, prove it kind of feeling. I think young adult readers are just willing to just take a leap and believe in the world you create. And, you know, I love to write for them because of that reason. I think too, I mean, I remember early on hearing lots of young women say, oh no, practical magic was something that helped me switch from young adult into adult reading, especially young adolescents saying, oh no, no, I swiped that from my mom. I swiped that from You know, I feel like I swept all my favorite books from my mom's bookshelf, you know, when she wasn't looking. But I think it is, I think a lot of young women and young adults read Practical Magic and the magic books. I always feel like, what's the difference? You know, people ask me, you know, how do you write differently for young adults than you do adults? And I'm I'm like, I don't think I do write differently. If there's if there's anything, I feel like I may be freer when I write for young adults, but I don't think there's really a difference. I think literature is literature. And once you're a reader, it, it kind of doesn't matter what you're reading. That's the only th- bad thing I can think of is running out of something to read. That is... <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> I now feel that about writing, like I'm in a panic if I'm not able to write, because for me, it's the same with reading and with writing, but more so with writing for me now is that it's kind of like your escape hatch, like the world you go to when the world is too much and you just need out and you need to know other things and just enter into another world. And you may bring some of that back with you, but what you find in that other world. But, uh, you know, I always carried a book with me as a kid. I just had to get out of this world and into the, into the fictional world. I joke about it with friends too, who have kids that age now, <laughs> like don't run out of things. <laughs> Here's I'll send you things. Don't run out of stuff to read. But isn't that great that kids are still, you know, despite all of the virtual things and all of the 
online things that they still are in love with books. I mean, that really gives me hope about the world. It's so satisfying to hold a physical book in your hand. I mean, read however you're going yeah. to read. Yeah. Oh yeah. Read on the screen, rock on. But for me, and especially when I'm prepping for interviews too, I really like paper. Me you too. Really like paper. So I got to play we with grew the- up with it. You know, I think it's what you grow up with. And uh, so I think that's a big part of the difference, but I feel that I feel the same way. I like to hold the book. When you were coming back to the Owens family and their story, and you're writing about love and loss and grief, but you're also writing about community. How did it feel for you to come back? I realized you said earlier in the interview that you don't plan things, but there has to be a certain sort of familiarity and warmth that comes from revisiting characters you obviously like. Definitely. I mean, it's it's a different feeling to go back into a book where you know the character so well and you know the place so well, you know the psychology of the character so well. It's still a surprise. It's always a surprise for me because I don't know everything. And I don't know if writing would be as interesting if it wasn't a learning process. I feel like if I knew everything, why would I bo- why would I bother? It's like knowing what happens at the end of a book. As a reader, it's like, why bother? You know, for me, it's a process where I, I don't know, I think I know what's going to happen, but usually it's something completely different. What do you want readers to know about the Owens family and the Book of Magic? Well, what I always want want to do as a reader is I want to be able to go into that world and kind of find myself. You know, I think one of the best things that I experienced as a reader is this feeling of being known, this feeling of not being alone. And I think I feel like especially now at this time and with COVID, people are so isolated and so alone and that books are a way to connect with people, whether you're all reading the same book and talking about it, or just you're sitting alone with the book. It's a form of connection that I think is very hard to find anyplace else. When you write a new book, you want readers to feel surprised. You know, you want them to turn the page and not know what's going to happen next. I mean, that's part of the joy of like the revealing of a book. And what's so, I always think is so great is like, you can't do that in your life. You know, if only you could just reveal what was going to happen, you know, just by sitting down for a few hours with a book, you have this whole world that reveals itself to you. You have this incredible ability to balance character and plot, and not everyone can do this. I don't know if I would describe your books as page turners because I don't like to rush through them. I like to sit with them and enjoy the characters, but how do you manage that magic act? Well, you know, I think not always, but if you're lucky, I think character is plot. Okay. And I think if you have your characters and you have your world, they will make things happen. So that if you have kind of an overreaching plot, maybe, you know, for instance, will they be able to break the curse? Everything else they do kind of comes out of who they are and, and the world that they're living in. So I don't worry as much about plot as I do about other things. Like what? What do you worry about? <laughs> what do I worry about? Well, I, I I don't really worry during during the initial writing, but I worry about does it make sense to people? Are they, uh, you know, does does this follow? Am I telling it in the right kind of chronological order for a reader to kind of get the most out of it? That kind of thing. More kind of nuts and bolts things than anything else. So which takes longer for you, writing or editing? Editing, I think. And you've been working with the same editor for a while, right? Quite a while. Yes. Mary Sue Rucci. I'm really, really, really lucky. So yeah, she's great. What's next for you? Well, you know, what's next for me? I 
almost hate to talk about it because I never know if a book is really going to be a book. I've had books that like I finished the book. I think it's a book. It's not a book. So right now I'm working on something that's pre-biblical, huge amount of research. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. And definitely a standalone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think so. That's what I think I said about practical magic, like definitely a standalone. Is there anything we missed about the Owens or Book of Magic without giving away any major? I mean, I had so much pleasure reading this book. I think one of the things about the Book of Magic is there are romantic things going on, but it's really about family love. It's really about what you're willing to do for your family and how important they are to you and how ready you are to give things over to the next generation and have faith in the next generation and and how difficult it is to really grow up in a family and how much you don't know about people in your own family and that you discover hopefully as time goes by. So, you know, I kind of am in love with this family, so it's very hard for me to say goodbye to them. But I also feel really lucky to have spent like 25 years working on this while I was working on other books also, but it became kind of a home for me and and I'll miss it. But we can all reread the books. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Alice Hoffman, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. The new novel is The Book of Magic. It is the fourth and technically final volume in the Practical Magic series, but we can all just keep rereading. You never know. There's a, magic can always happen. But thank you so much. Such a pleasure to talk to you. All right, everybody, it's time for your TBR Top Off. This is the segment where, based on today's interview with Alice Hoffman, we recommend three books that you need to add to your to-be-read stack. My name is James. And I'm Margie. And we're coming to you from our home store here in Northville, Michigan, just outside of the Metro Detroit area. And we are so excited for spooky season and books about witches and pumpkin spice lattes and all of the above. Right, Margie? and apple picking and pretty leaves. Absolutely. (laughs) It's all coming together. So uh, three books to recommend for you today and... Margie's going to kick it off. Yeah, today we're going to have some really great suggestions for magical realism, one of my very favorite genres. The first book I was recommending is called Garden Spells. It's by Sarah Addison Allen. In the small town of Bascom, North Carolina, generations of the Waverly clan, outsiders with peculiar gifts, have safeguarded a curious garden whose apple tree offers prophetic fruit and whose flowers hold powerful properties. Now the last of the Waverleys are on a collision course. Claire and her elderly cousin, Everell, are confronted with the return of Claire's rebellious sister, Sydney, who had fled their town as soon as possible, as had the girl's mother before her. And Sydney has a child of her own in tow. Suddenly, Claire finds her carefully constructed, safe and quiet life turned upside down, while Sydney struggles to reckon with the things she left behind and why she found herself returning. Between Claire, Sydney, and Everell, we find a beautiful exploration of not just the meaning of home, but also the power of family to hurt and to heal. The second one I wanted to recommend today is called Mr. Flood's Last Resort by Jess Kidd, who I'm sure James will recognize that name, was the author of one of our very favorite monthly picks, Things in Jars. Absolutely. (laughs) So this is one of her earlier novels. Uh, If you haven't read any, I highly suggest you check out all three. But for Mr. Flood's Last Resort is about Maud Drennan, who is a dedicated in-home caregiver 
and she's just accepted a position to look after the elderly Cathal Flood, knowing only that he has managed to run off his last several companions through a combination of hostility, psychological warfare, and booby traps set all throughout his rambling and extremely unsanitary mansion. Maud doesn't scare so easily, though, not least because her constant companions are ghosts of the Catholic saints who pop in and out at will, giving advice or getting in the way. As Maud and Cathal settle into an uneasy truce, Maud begins to see that there is something off in the flood home besides the hoarded mess. The path to figuring out just what that is is riddled with Mr. Flood's antagonistic son, a nosy church secretary, a mostly bald cat, a handsome and possibly very dangerous stranger, and last but not least, the traumatic events of her own childhood. It is a darkly humorous and sometimes extremely harrowing tale about putting your ghosts to rest. And the title of that one was Mr. Flood's Last Resort by Jess Kidd, who we adore. Okay, and I have one too. This is A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. Naomi is the author of many books, but this is the first in a trilogy. She's a very active author on the internet, which we love to see. She started a website called Ar Archive of Our Own, which is a nonprofit fan-run archive for fan fiction and videos and things like that. She's really involved in that space. And so this trilogy, a lot of people will say this is kind of Harry Potter for grownups. So if you, like many of us, were raised on Harry Potter, you will be into this series. So A Deadly Education is part one of the Scholomance series. It's dark academia. There's magic. There's monsters. It definitely has a Slytherin kind of vibe to it, right? For sure. So you have the main character who lives in the school and has to face these monsters, right? And it is an exciting page turning, very and Harry Potter for adults because it gets a little it gets a little scary. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> good good book for spooky season. And book two just came out in hardcover. So you, if you like book one here in paperback, you can pick up book two. All right, you guys. Well, that is your TBR top off for this week. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Alice Hoffman. We are at our Barnes & Noble store here in Northville, Michigan. You can follow us on Instagram at bnnorthvillemi. And my name is James. You can follow me at James Reading Books. And my name is Margie. You can follow me at Margie Bookbrain. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Happy reading. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.